Welcome to another episode of I Made a Biology podcast to help me study. Well, I didn't actually make this podcast, Laura did, but I'm just going to try to help her finish up these um, last higher level topics. Um, we'll see how that works out. And today we're actually going to look at 7.1 DNA structure and replication. And that is like a addition to, I think, 2.6 or 2.7. Um, and yeah, it, it just makes it more complicated. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're going to start with looking at the skill, which is the analysis of results of the Hershey and Chase experiment. So Alfred Hershey and Martha Chase were these two scientists which actually conducted a series of experiments in order to prove that DNA was the genetic material, but um, protein was not. And to do this, viruses, so they're actually T2 bacteriophage, which you can also just remember as phages, um, were grown in um, isotopic mediums, into different isotopic mediums in order to radioactively label their specific viral component. And that's actually because viruses have an outer um, protein coat and inside their protein coat they actually have DNA. Um, so the viruses were um, first grown in radioactive sulfur, so that was the first experiment, and that actually um, radioactively labeled the proteins as sulfur is present in proteins but not in DNA. And then they were grown in um, a radioactive phosphorus, um, which then actually radio labeled the DNA, and um, phosphorus is present in DNA but not proteins. So that allowed only the specific um, protein or the um, DNA to be radioactively labeled. Then the viruses were um, allowed to um, infect a bacterium called E. coli and um, then they were then the viruses and bacteria were actually separated by a centrifugation. Um, and then you could actually see um, after a larger bacteria was formed, well, the bacteria basically formed a solid pellet. And on there, you could see that the um, pellet was found to be radioactive when injected with the phosphorus viruses, but not with the sulfur viruses. So the sulfur viruses were um, with the protein and the phosphate viruses were with the DNA. So that actually then demonstrated that DNA was the um, genetic material and protein was not because the DNA was radio the radioactive DNA was actually um, and actually entered the bacteria but the um, uh, the protein did not. Okay, then moving on to the structure of DNA. Um, we have an application here, which is Rosalind Franklin and Morris Wilkins investigation of DNA structure by X-ray diffraction. So X-ray diffraction is this um, method in which DNA is first purified and then specific fibers were stretched in a thin glass tube um, in order to make most of this strands like parallel. 
Um, and the DNA is then actually targeted by an X-ray beam, which um, then diffracts um, when it contacts an atom. And the scattering pattern of the X-ray was then recorded on a film and used to elucidate the details of molecular structure. I'm not so sure if you need to know it in that detail, but um, the important part is basically that the um, from these scattering patterns um, produced by the DNA molecule, um, you can actually see that the composition of the DNA is that it's double-stranded, meaning that it has two antiparallel strands. Um, then you have the orientation, which is that the nitrogenous bases are closely packaged together on the inside of the um, DNA, but then the phosphates form the outer backbone of the DNA. And then we also have the shape of the DNA molecule, which is that it twists in um, regular intervals. Um, they also say every 34 angstrom, but don't think we have to know that, um, in order to form a helix. So the two strands that are anti-parallel um, actually form a double helix. Um, and then we have the understanding that the DNA structure suggests a mechanism for DNA replication. And basically the DNA structure, um, so the anti-parallel and the complementary base pairing, suggests two mechanisms for DNA replication. We have the fact that replication occurs via complementary base pairing, meaning that adenine will always bind with thymine and guanine will always pair with cytosine. And then we also have the fact that replication is bidirectional, which means that it um, proceeds in opposite directions on the two strands. So that means that they're anti-parallel basically. And so the first mechanism, so the complementary base pairing, was actually um, found out by Chargaff, which is um, another scientist. Um, and basically, he found out that DNA is composed of an equal number of purines. Purines have a two-ring structure, um, and those are purines are adenine and um, guanine. And then you also have um, an equal number, so an equal number of purines and an equal number of pyrimidines. And those pyrimidines um, only have a run, a single, um, single circle structure, and they um, are actually cytosine and thymine. And as we know that adenine always binds with thymine and guanine always binds with cytosine, we know that um, a pyrimidine will always bind with a purine. Um, so yeah, they're always paired within the double helix. And in order for this pairing between these purines and these pyrimidines to occur, the, uh, the two strands must run in anti-parallel directions because otherwise you actually either have um, too little space if, for example, two purines bind, or you have too much space if um, between the strands if two pyrimidines um, bind. But if you have a purine and a pyrimidine, they perfectly match up if they're paired in an antiparallel direction. And then um, Watson and Crick um, developed the DNA model, as we know, and they actually discovered that the adenine and the thymine bond was the exactly same length as the guanine and the cytosine bond. And basically adenine and thymine, they pair with two hydrogen bonds, whilst guanine and cytosine only pair, uh, they pair with three hydrogen bonds. 
And that's actually always really important to show on IB questions if it asks you to draw um, a diagram of like four nucleotides. Um, you should always try to show that, um, yeah, guanine and cytosine bind with um, three hydrogen bonds and that adenine and thymine um, bind with two. I don't think it's too important to show the ring structure. Um, and then if the bases were always paired that way, um, they would actually show a regular structure of the DNA helix, which was actually then like shown by um, Rosalind Franklin through the X-ray diffraction. So now moving on to DNA replication, so the actual process. Um, DNA replication is actually semi-conservative and um, it's really like it proceeds with a complex system of a bunch of different enzymes. So first, well, we know that DNA consists of two antiparallel strands. So first, in order for DNA replication to take place, we're going to have to um, open these two strands. And basically, the enzyme helicase breaks the hydrogen bonds between the two um, DNA single strands. Um, and that actually will unwind the DNA and creates a so-called replication fork. Now, um, DNA gyrase then comes along and relieves the strain on the double helix, which was caused by this um, opening of the double helix. And um, then single-stranded binding proteins, which you can also refer to as SSB proteins, um, they will then actually assist in keeping the replication fork open and um, yeah, so that it doesn't close again. Now, um, this replication fork will actually create two template strands. We have the leading strand, which goes in a three to five direction, and the three refers to the third carbon and the five to the fifth carbon, and, a, um, and the lagging strand, which is in the five to three direction. And basically to replicate the leading strand, so it defers the replication between the two, it kind of defers. Um, in the lagging strand, you need more enzymes than in the leading strand. Now the leading strand um, starts off with DNA primase, which um, adds a few RNA bases. So that actually then allows DNA polymerase 3 to actually add more complementary bases because um, DNA polymerase 3 actually needs something to start on. Um, so then DNA polymerase 3 adds nucleotides continuously in the 5 to 3 mRNA direction um, in, and via complementary base pairing. So adenine with thymine, cytosine with guanine. Um, and on the leading strand, it's important to mention that it is that um, replication is continuous. Now, on the lagging strand, um, we also have um, DNA primase. Um, however, DNA primase has to add more short um, lengths of um, RNA in order to act as, prim as primers, since the lagging strand goes in a 5 to 3 direction, which means that um, DNA polymerase still has to go in a 5 to 3 direction, but it will have to hop in order to be able to do so. Now, um, DNA polymerase 3 will have to wait until a short section of the replication fork has opened because um, well, because it has to jump back and it has to do that before they add complementary bases in the 5 to 3 direction. 
Um, so then it will always have to like jump backwards um, to the next primer in or and then move forward in the five to three direction, move back again um, in order to be able to replicate the lagging strand. And then these short strands of bases between the primers are actually called Okazaki fragments. And these Okazaki fragments will then be joined by DNA ligase, which um, will then, well, yeah, join them together. It's like glue. Um, and then the last step will be that the RNA primers, since they are RNA, they will still have to be converted to DNA by the enzyme DNA polymerase 1. So in summary, the most important um, aspect is the fact that DNA polymerase 3 replicates, complementary, um, replicates the DNA strand via complementary base pairing and that it only runs in a 5 to 3 direction, which means that DNA replication will be continuous on the leading strand but um, discontinuous on the lagging strand. Okay, so that was then actually a summary of the three understandings. DNA replication is carried out by a complex system of enzymes. DNA replication is continuous on the leading strand and discontinuous on the lagging strand. And that DNA polymerase um, can only add nucleotides to the three um, end of a primer. Now moving on to DNA sequencing, specifically the application use of nucleotides containing didioxyribonucleic acid to stop DNA replication in preparation of samples for base sequencing. So DNA sequencing is actually the process of determining the exact order of bases in a DNA sample. And a unique type of nucleotide called the didioxynucleotide is um, utilized in this um, process. And basically they um, lack a three hydroxyl group. So they lack the OH group, which is actually necessary for um, the formation of a phosphate bond or a phosphodiester bond between um, the deoxyribose of one nucleotide and the phosphate of the next nucleotide. Um, and consequently, if that um, is not existing, then um, the deoxynucleotides will prevent the further elongation of a nucleotide chain, and therefore they will terminate replication. And um, the resulting length of DNA sequence will then reflect this specific nucleotide position at which the DDNTP was incorporated. So, for example, if um, we have DDGTP um, ter um, terminating a specific sequence after, for example, eight nucleotides, you will know that the eighth nucleotide is actually a cytosine. That is because you have the DDGTP, so that means that you have guanine incorporated in the didioxyribonucleic acid. Um, and um, so that means, and since guanine binds with cytosine, you will see that um, cytosine will be the um, ending um, sequence uh, or the ending nucleic acid of the specific um, DNA sequence. 
Okay, so then for actual sequencing, this is a bit complicated, but if you go over it a few times, then you'll understand. Um, basically, the didioxynucleotides can obviously be used to determine the DNA sequence. And in order to do so, four polymerase chain reaction mixes are set up, which will each contain a specific stock of normal nucleotides plus one didioxynucleotide. So they will either have DDA, DDT, DDC, or DDG. Um, DD just stands for didioxy. Um, as a typical PCR will then generate over 1 billion DNA molecules, each PCR makes should generate all the possible terminating fragments for that particular base. And when the fragments are then separated using gel electrophoresis, which was from topic 3.5 biotechnology, um, the base sequence can then be determined by ordering the fragments according to length. Um, so if a distinct radioactive or fluorescently labeled primer is then also included in the mix, the fragments can actually be, be determined by um, sequencing machines. Um, and then um, you will actually um, see what specifically the um, DNA sequence was. So for example, if you end up having a G, if DDG was your... Um, ended up being your base, then you will know that it'll bind to cytosine and therefore your DNA sequence will start with cytosine. But I suggest you review that and actually maybe look at some videos because that always helps. Now moving on to non-coding DNA, specifically the understanding some regions of DNA do not code for proteins but have other important functions. So the vast majority of the human genome is actually comprised of non-coding DNA and those types of non-coding DNA can be remembered using the mnemonic STING. S stands for satellite DNA which are tandemly repeating sequences of DNA um, which are often used in DNA profiling. Then T stands for telomeres, which are regions of repetitive DNA at the end of a chromosome, protecting it against deterioration during replication. Um, I stands for introns, which are non-coding sequences within genes and are removed um, by RNA splicing prior to the formation of mRNA. Um, then we have N standing for non-coding RNA genes. So those are um, codes for RNA molecules that are not translated into protein. So for example, tRNA. And then we have G, which is gene regulatory sequences, which are sequences involved in the process of transcription, such as promoters, enhancers, and silencers. Now the application tandem repeats are used in DNA profiling. DNA profiling is a technique by which individuals can be identified and compared via their respective um, DNA profiles. So within the non-coding regions of an individual's genome, there exists um, satellite DNA, which are basically long stretches of DNA made up of repeating elements called short tandem repeats or STRs. Um, these tandem repeats can be excised using restriction enzymes and then separated with gel electrophoresis for comparison. And as individuals will likely have different numbers of repeats at a given satellite DNA locus, they will also 
generate unique um, DNA profiles and a mother will always or a child will always have a 50% similarity to its mother's DNA profile whilst for example DNA profiling is also often used at crime scenes to detect whether or not the blood um, found um, is actually from the specific suspect. suspect yes. <laughs> So then the last understanding is actually the use of a molecular visualization software to analyze the association between protein and DNA within um, a nucleosome. And um, as we know, nucleosomes consist of molecular DNA wrapped around the core of eight histone proteins. Um, now, the negatively charged DNA associates with the positively charged amino acids on the surface of the histone proteins. But in order to um, really visualize this, you're going to have to use your own molecular visualization software, which is, for example, um, linked on BioNinja. So that actually wraps up 7.1 DNA structure and replication. I hope it was useful, at least it was for me, and I'll see you in the next episode. Woohoo!